Sweet. So I'm just going to read out this little section. If it's on the screen. Cool. So, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. And in some versions of the Bible, uh, this section is called the prayer of faith. And that's the whole thing I want to be thinking about today, is what it means to have a prayer of faith. And there's no secret recipe or, or kind of cheat book in this section here about prayer. And we see that in particular when we look at Elijah. In the ESV, it says it's a man with a nature like ours. Except with Elijah, when he prayed, he didn't give up. He didn't stop praying. He prayed and he prayed for, to God for three and a half years that it, that it would not rain. And it didn't rain. And then he prayed for rain. And it did rain. And this idea of praying for three years and six months is, is, is pretty mad. And in Luke 4, Jesus himself refers to first his example of Elijah, first his prayer life. And for me, that was such a challenge when I read this, that actually a man of a nature like ours could have such an intensity, such a confidence in God that Jesus talks of his prayer life. And when somebody who's perfect can boast of your prayer life, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty big. And I feel Elijah is particularly resonant for us because our problem with prayer, I think, is that we give up. I think we abandon our prayers. We lose sight of the dreams and the hopes that God's placed within us. We might pray, pray once and we don't see an answer straight away, we move on. We might limit our prayers, keeping them small, so that you know we may see like a little advance and a little hope and kind of get excited about that. But most of the time we just get we just get petulant, we get frustrated with God that He's not coming through for us. We remember the times when He's failed us, when He's not answered us, and we fail to rejoice and celebrate those times where God's come through for us. And as Gaz said, in those everyday worries, uh, those examples of failing your exams, losing your job, that kind of thing, can you still pray then? Can you still say that God is good and continue to pray? When you're in trouble, let them pray. And in verse 16, uh, James gives us a little hint with this. Uh, in confessing our sins and praying for each other so that you may be healed, that you may become righteous. And the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And this is what righteousness is. It's this idea of confessing our sin. And uh, righteousness is famously described uh, for some of us in Ephesians 6 as being like the breastplate of righteousness by the armour of God. Something which guards our heart. And the incredible thing for me of righteousness in the Bible is that it's described in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that uh, God made him who had no sin, Christ, to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So we ourselves, in the confession of our sin, in allowing Jesus to move in us, have become the walking, breathing, talking righteousness of God. And we witness the character and the heart to God of all those that we meet. And I think when we, when we realise this in our head, this has changed the way we pray. When we know that we are literally walking out as the righteousness of God. Like, why shouldn't our prayers be effective? Why shouldn't we have a complete confidence and a complete trust 
that God will answer our prayers. And having this identity as being the walking righteousness of God impacts us in such an incredible way. As does the revelation that our success in our prayer isn't just all about our level of faith. It isn't about having a certain score out of ten. There's a quote from one of the guys at Bethel, Chris Gore. He said, it's not about how big your faith is. It's about how big your God is. And it's not about the more faith you feel you have or the less faith you feel you have. It's about trusting in God and genuinely believing that our prayers change things. Knowing that in spite of our circumstance, he doesn't change. He's still going to be good. And I think we pray not kind of expecting God to come through. We pray sort of God's a little bit not, not there in this, in this season. I can't, I can't see him right here. And I think we pray quite British. We sort of get our hands in our pockets. We slouch down. We go with you and we go... Yeah, God, like, you know, maybe if, like, one day, like, my housemate could, like, ask me about, like, liturgy, and, like, I might, like, open the door for, like, a conversation. But that's completely wrong. That's not the way to pray. The way we should be praying is expecting God to come through for us, thanking him that he's already answered our prayers, thanking him that our housemates haven't just asked us a little question about liturgy. They've met with Jesus. They've been transformed. They've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And we should have a confidence that God should come through for us. We should be a people that have the audacity to pray as if our prayers have already been answered. Having a complete boldness in God, not boxing him in to a certain level of answers, a certain level of acceptability, but expecting for the God who promises to us that he is immeasurably more to blow our minds in answering our audacious and our extravagant prayers. And another little quote I saw when I was surfing the web for sort of inspiration, because I'm lacking it myself, was this quote, which is, A little faith plus a big God equals huge results. And I've just come back about a week and a half ago from Stuttgart uh, doing Escape and Pray. And those of you who were here last week would have heard about that. Uh, Me and myself and Luke and a couple of us, we uh, turned up at an airport, giving tickets to the location we didn't know we were going to go to the airport, and after surviving for two days in a European country. And then we got Stuttgart in Germany. And for two days, we, we didn't use money, didn't use phones, we were totally dependent on God, totally trusted in him to come through for us. And there wasn't anything special in what we did. There wasn't anything special about me or Luke that, that meant that God came through for us. We just surrendered to him. We just submitted to just praying and just having faith that God would come through. And I think obviously your prayer life is going to intensify when you're doing something called escape and pray. But I've been quite convicted the last two weeks that I've, I've got back and I've, I've, I've gone back to who I am before. I haven't been acting in this kind of escape and pray mindset. I haven't been acting out of a place of total faith. I've just been back to normal old me. And that's, that's a real, real challenge to me, and I hope that's a challenge to you, that actually, if you can have surrendered faith in Germany for two days, why can't you have that every day in the UK when everything's safe? And don't be afraid of just giving everything over to God. He's not going to harm you. He only wants the best for you, and he wants to work things together for your good. And from the book of James, I want... Yeah, I hope that the thing we take away is that our faith and our dependence on the goodness of God is the same in every high, every medium, and every low. That we would commit to pressing forward in prayer, Elijah style, praying expectantly to see answers of provision, of healing, and of redemption. And it's not on the screen here, but the next book of James ends with a, with a challenge and a commission. And most of the other books in the New Testament tend to end with kind of like a flowery, sort of lovey-dovey greeting. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians, I think Paul talks of giving people a holy kiss. So that's kind of all nice and all friendly. And that's nothing wrong with that. But in the spirit of James today, I want us to end with a, with a kind of challenge. 
with a sort of commission. And uh, yeah, as it says in verse 13, anyone you're in trouble? I'm sure some of in trouble. Anyone's happy? Huh? I'm sure someone's sick. And I want us to pray now, just on our tables, for the people around us. Just to pray for those people in one of those categories, whether that's yourself, or whether you know someone uh, with you. And just about, as the band come up now, we're just going to start getting this kind of this prayerful thing. And this isn't a nice response that ties James together well. For me, this is a commitment to pray Elijah style. As we're praying for those around us, as we're remembering those situations, I want us to be committing, yeah, to pray for the Elijah spirit. To pray that we would persevere in our prayer until we see answers. That we would be willing to pray for three years in six months in an expectant way that in faith we would see God through for us. We would remember how big our God is, regardless of our temporary struggles, regardless of those everyday worries that, that weigh us down, and trusting that we would see complete breakthrough in God, contending for our breakthrough in God, to see his power come through for us and not give up. And if you may feel that this commission, this idea to pray alone is scary, you may feel you've got no faith at all, uh, Matthew 17 says that if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you.